This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And good morning, one and all. Frank Proctor here, the sous chef of the garden, in studio at the Zoomer Plex in Liberty Village, where it's a beautiful day on the outside there. Let's see what things are shaping up like in Prince Edward County, where Charlie Dobbin is located. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I'm pretty good, thank you very much. Uh, I think I, well, I told you on the phone before we hit the airwaves that I feel really good. I got my second shot. Uh, yeah, that yeah. is so wonderful. Yeah, well, I, I, I'm hoping that, you know, it seems like they're really ramping things up and, and everybody will be uh, hopefully a little ahead of the game as we go on through this uh, pandemic. How are you doing? Pretty good? Pretty good. Well, you know, I am in a very, very low-risk area. Well, I guess, and you are, too, I guess, you know, being in the woods. But then again, you're in the studio right now. Yeah, um, yeah where I live in the county here, the public health uh, area, um, the last numbers, I think there was either six or seven people with COVID. And I think two of them were in ICU and five of them were in the hospital in total. So, I mean, it's, it's really a, a very low risk here. Weather has been gorgeous. Today is a beautiful sunny day. We thank goodness, you know, bless everybody and everything. Got some <laughs> rain. Ooh, did we need rain? I'll tell my, you. <laughs> my lawn was like a, a cornfield. <laughs> well, I've been battling the uh, uh, wonderful little, uh, what the hell, I'm going to say groundhogs. No, no, no. Raccoons. Raccoons, yeah. They stole the uh, bird feeder again. Uh, it was last Wednesday night. I forgot to bring it in. And I thought they had toted it off into the woods. But no, uh, the next day I thought, wait a minute, I haven't looked completely under that deck. Sure enough, right <laughs> under the front steps, completely devoid of all seeds, naturally. <laughs> the, the little rascals, those bandits. Anyway, uh, my, my battles continue. But you know what I better do? I better get the numbers on the air here because oh, we have an absolutely clear monitor. No calls oh, in yet. So, everybody's out in their garden. Well, that's it, maybe, huh? Okay. <laughs> in Toronto, folks, give a call to this number to reach Charlie Dobbin, 416-360-0740. Anywhere in the province, toll free, 1-866-740-4740. If you happen to be a first-time caller, please let Carlos know. And, uh, Oh, there it is. I almost lost the bell there. Uh, before <laughs> before you get to the airwaves, you first-time callers, that's what you're going to hear. So call early, call often, one question per call. And let me squeak your um, email address in, okay? Yeah, because uh, Charlie really loves to receive emails, and uh, it's a, a great feature for the show. So it goes this way. C dot Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com, and there she be. Okay. 
<laughs> and the lines are starting to light up. Okay. Okay, good. Good. Well, so, I mean, maybe people have their radios out in the garden, which is always a good thing, and their phones. Exactly. Oh, do you have some <laughs> notes from uh, some of the clubs well, to pass along? Last week, I announced that the Beaverton Hort Society was having a plant sale today mm-hmm. at White's Creek Flower Farm. I believe it's between 11 and 3. I haven't. One of our listeners emailed just to confirm that information, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's what I've got. (laughs) It's one of those, uh, yeah, she just kind of, she didn't see it on their website. So as far as I know, that is happening today, uh, just near Beaverton. Uh, Remember as well, on June the 9th, the Riverdale Hort Society will be meeting, Mm -hmm. and they have uh, Anna Leggett with the Gardening Blues, this is very simple to come. Um, I think what you have to do is join these horse societies to join their meetings, but it's the best 10 or $15 you can spend. Why, sure. So that's www.riverdalehorticultural.ca. And I think what... Mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I think I've got something from Allison, but go ahead. What have you got? Yeah, no, I, I was just passing by this morning. Uh, Woodbine and Aurora Road. There's a small church there. I think it's Wesley uh, United Church where they're having a plant sale, I believe, today. Oh, there so you go. So if someone is driving along, you want to confirm that for me, that'd be <laughs> terrific. Okay. Well, and, and I guess the point, for the horse size, I think it's been a bit challenging to getting the plants, getting them. You got. I think they have to, like, socially distance the plants, yeah. maybe, um, and the people, you know, and have enough volunteers there to control the crowds and and just all that, you know, only, I think it's just been a little more than most of the horse societies could handle. And yet, plant sales are an excellent fundraiser for the, for the clubs. So if you can get out and support your local horse society, please do. Okay, and you want to support Charlie, so you get ready to get on that telephone and get on the blower there and have a word with her. Uh, the lines are jammed right now, so we've got to go and come right, right back after these words from our sponsors, Charlie. You're okay. listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Well, Charlie, I can guarantee you're going to be a busy lady today. Let's, <laughs> let's go to the phone lines where Diane is online from Dorchester, just outside London, Ontario. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. How are you doing? Great. Okay. Good morning. Um, what I'm calling in about, I'm so happy you mentioned the gypsy moss uh, because uh, as soon as the show was over, we mm. went out and I couldn't. Mm. It shocked me to see the caterpillars going up and down. We have uh, two different groupings of uh, birch trees. Oh, and uh, so my husband, he went and used the trick, and we find it really, really helping. It's the duct tape one. Oh, yeah. When I go out there every morning, you know, I don't want them getting to my tree. And, mm-hmm. Charlie, when they go up there and they can't get past there and they go back down, what are they going to be living on or just will they just die? Well, they'll, they'll, they're pretty fast moving, so they're going to keep wandering through your lawn or, or your gardens, and they'll just look for anything edible. That's and the crazy what I thing thought, about, yeah, my husband the, said, just leave them. They'll die. They'll starve to death. Uh, I don't believe I, that. So no. I'm... My neighbor came over and said, oh, kill or die. I said, I'm sorry. I said, it's either they, I kill them or they kill my plants. And uh, so I have to be the protector of my plants. And sure. while we were out there, we were showing our neighbor how uh, we were so successful. All of a sudden, we saw these two. They're just the thickness of a thread. 
Mm. And they're a lime green. They're not very, very long at all. And my husband, when he was looking, you could almost see little tiny, tiny hair-like feet on the back Mm. and then at the very top. Mm. And it kind of inches its way along. We've heard Mm. about an inchworm before. Is this what you call an inchworm? Yeah, I mean, it, it, they're called inchworms just because of the way they, they um, move like little, almost like loopers. They take a okay. little spatula so and then they're back. would they back. also be uh, going to be eating on my uh, leaves on my trees? <laughs> they could be. It's hard to say for sure. There are, um, they're called sawfly larvae. If you want to Google that, so saw, S-A-W-F-L-Y. And they, so. they will, they're, they're the exact same color as the leaves of some of your plants. And they yeah. sit on the, the margins or the edges of the leaves, and then they start chewing. And you don't even oh. notice them because they're perfectly camouflaged. And yeah. then you realize the leaf shape isn't quite right, that it's missing <laughs> some of it. And you look yeah. close and you realize this insect is lined up right on the edge. Yeah. Uh, and so they, they can really devastate roses. If okay. It's a ro- but they're very okay. specific. Well, I killed it. those two as well. And then my neighbor said to me, oh, no, you should never have done that. But they be. turn into monarch butterflies. <laughs> then I felt real bad, so I, well, I wanted you to, to yeah. reassure me that I wasn't killing <laughs> monarch butterflies. Well, do yeah, exactly. Do be careful. Don't just kill anything that moves. Um, no. Watch and make sure that, that whatever you're killing is causing damage. Yeah. Certainly, as we know, monarch butterfly caterpillars cause damage. They yeah. eat milkweed. So, you know, you see something eating yeah. your milkweed right away. You say, well, I could kill that because it's hurting my milkweed. Or you say, ah, that's a monarch butterfly caterpillar. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I've got lots yeah. of monarch, I've got lots and lots of milkweed. They're now thriving, yeah. and I, I heard you say that before. So mm. uh, I'm keeping my pesky fingers off them. I do not want, I want the butterflies. Of we course. all want to save our butterflies, don't we? Absolutely. No. Okay. Diane, well, we thanks, have to kind Charlie, of hurry I'm going to let you go because you've yeah, you. uh, yeah. you got so many people who want to ask you a question, and <laughs> yeah. I like to listen to the answer. That's okay. great, Diane. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a good day. Okay. Uh, good information. <laughs> there, we, there we go. All right. <laughs> just had so this. much to tell, huh? All right. I, I'm going to do with an email here. This okay. from Paulo Silva. He says, my name is Paulo, and I uh, am an AM740 listener. have listened to you and your comments several times. My wife and myself would like to ask you something about this disease that has killed one of our peach trees in our new house. Have he, has he sent you a picture? I didn't know whether... He did, yes. Okay. Uh, what can we do to uh, deal with this problem, asked Paulo. Right. So, um, actually, it's a good point. Did he send me? I'm not sure if he did, but uh, I have printed off a little bit of information because clearly, oh, I know, the subject line of his email <clears throat> says, Tefrina deformans. Oh, right, you are. Right. Yep. And that is the proper scientific name for a disease called peach leaf curl. So he's clearly recognized that he's got that disease on his peaches. And yes, it can kill peaches. That, and, and anybody who's listening who has peach trees um, and the leaves are all kind of curled up, uh, they get a weird, distorted look to them, which is where that name deformans comes from. Uh, and they get a bit of a red as well as they're green, and then they get a red tinge. Is not a good thing. So mm-hmm. bottom line, Paulo, is you have to try and control that disease. And now when you see the symptoms, there's nothing you can do this year. Uh, you can obviously try removing leaves. Um, do not put them in the composter. Get them right off the property. And recognize that peach leaf curl, the development of the disease is favored by a cold, wet weather in the spring 
when the leaf buds are just breaking and beginning to open. So, uh, so cool, 10 to 15 degrees Celsius is, is very favorable for the disease. So you've got to monitor, obviously, your plants. And what you also need to do is get to your local garden center and pick up something called a dormant spray kit. So it's a, it's a box. It's got two different bottles in it. One is horticultural oil. The other is lime sulfur. And that is used to control diseases when plants are dormant. So you are going to follow all the directions on the package and use it this fall after your peach leaves, after your peaches have gone dormant. You know, we've had a couple of frosts. And you're going to use it again next spring when the trees are dormant. But there's very specific temperatures and no wind and all that important stuff that's important before you spray. But it is a tough one. And do everything to look after your peach trees. Lots of TLC. Make sure they don't suffer in lack of water. Make sure there's no dead wood on them. Keep them clean. Keep them tidy. Anything that falls to the ground, pick it up. Lots of good hygiene so you're not spreading any spores around. Fertilize as necessary in the spring. All plants like a little food. You can be fertilizing with compost or composted manure. Uh, you can also, or instead, you could uh, fertilize with a synthetic, you know, fruit tree uh, type fertilizer. But either way, do everything to help the tree be as healthy as possible. All righty. Uh, have you got your monitor on? Do you, you see me in the studio? I Do have you? my monitor on. Oh, am I'm I looking not... like Mozart with my growing hair that's oh, stuck going out I, crazy? Well, I can't. I'm not. <laughs> for some reason, it's not. I no? I don't why it's not working. Oh, well, dear. Okay. It's not um, well, just as broadcasting. Well. I, I, I don't want to scare well. you. you. Oh, there you are. There you are. No, no, I am. Um, you should see my hair. I can almost do braids. Oh, yeah, you are. You're, your yeah. hair is right over your ears. <laughs> Nuts. Um, but I am reaching for the bell because online we've got someone who is a first-time caller. We're going to go to them next on The Garden Show, so hang in there. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, flocks, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Alrighty, Charlie, this is for Eugene in Mississauga, who is a first-time caller. Good morning, Eugene. Yeah, hi. Good morning. Um, uh, Charlie? Mm-hmm. Yes, I have a, a question. I I live in a typical uh, suburb in Mississauga, mm-hmm. and I have a front lawn and a backyard, uh, and the back lawn, I mean. In the front, the grass is really nice. Everything is fine. But in the back, somehow I have these little vines growing. They're about maybe a foot long. They vary a little bit shorter, a little bit longer. And along the, the stem, they have these tiny leaves, uh, maybe about a, an inch in size. And they go all along. They seem to be growing and spreading, and I have no idea what they are. And I went to a nursery in Mississauga here, a famous one, and they really couldn't help me. Any idea what I'm talking about and where, they, where these come from? So little leaves. Are the leaves heart-shaped by any chance? Uh, um, They they just look like tiny little leaves. Um, They're not heart-shaped. They're just tiny little leaves, but uh, maybe an inch, uh, an inch in size, and And they go along the along the whole uh, stem, along uh, from the ground uh, up about uh, on average about twelve inches or so. Some are a little bit longer, some are a little bit shorter. I have no idea what these things are. It's the first time I've ever seen them, and I went to Sheridan Nurseries. They couldn't help me. Yeah. Okay. So, 
Did you, uh, okay, I'm just trying to see here. Because I'm. I'm wondering if Eugene could take a picture and send that to you, possibly, if, if you can't solve it today. Yeah, well, like we can so try. So what's the email address, address if, I, if I were to send that? Yeah, oh, I, so, yeah. Okay. I can give you that the email address. It's c.dobbin, that's D-O-B-B-I-N, at mzmedia.com. Can you, can you repeat that for me, please? Sure. C. Dot, C, like in Carol? Yes. Yes, C-D. No, C dot Dobbin, D-O-B-B-I-N, at yeah. mzmedia.com. At mzmedia.com. Dot com. Yeah. Okay, I will do that. And uh, hopefully we can resolve this. Yeah, okay. and, and can and Eugene, just before you go, um, have you tried pulling these out at all? Yanking on them, seeing if they'll come up. I'm sorry. Said I, I pulled them out, yes. and it it looks like uh, it's not just the the little vine that comes out, but also a little bit from that's in in the ground. Mm-hmm. But, so it's, but like it's creeping clear. Charlie it's not at all. Uh, brown or anything. It's not uh, green. It's just. Uh, Mm. About um, an inch that comes out from the ground when I pull them out. If I reach in and right to the bottom, I pull it out, and it comes out. uh, You know, the vine is green, but that little part that's in the ground is is kind of a whitish color. Of course, that's the roots. So you can pull this these plants. Like you don't. You generally we want turf grass in our lawns. We don't want unknowns taking over because often unknown plants will will devastate our good grass. So if you can get down on your hands and knees and crawl along and pull these plants out, root and all, and then dispose of this off the property, that would be a good idea. Uh, and in the meantime, send me a picture, and I will continue. Yeah, you see, there's something called Bermuda grass. I mean, you could always also Google Bermuda, like the country or the island, Bermuda grass. It is, yeah. does grow as a vine in grass. You might have something like that going on. Um, but, yeah, maybe we'll, we'll have you know, more to come on that, of course. Okay. We look forward okay. to that. Thank you very much for calling in, uh, Eugene, and thank you for being a first-time caller. Oh, uh, yeah. Good point. Right. Uh, hey, an uh, email here from Janet Donnelly. It says, uh, hi, Charlie. Back for some help with a cedar in our backyard. The cedar has been there about 11 years. There are four cedars side by side. We put burlap around them every winter. Haven't had any issues until this spring. Noticing a patch of brown on one of the cedars. Not sure what may be causing that. We haven't fertilized it yet this year. We do water the cedars. Backyard gets the afternoon sun. Uh, They're in Mississauga, Charlie. So any suggestions you might have? Yeah. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Janet did send a photograph. So the thing that's a bit challenging for me is I can't there's no scale on this photograph. So I can't tell whether these cedars are 20 feet tall or 5 feet tall. Right, yeah. But there are, they're grouped together quite closely. They are very green, other than this kind of obvious brown patch right in the middle. So remember what happens when plants get bigger and start interfering with each other. They start running into each other. We stop getting sunshine in there. We stop getting air circulation in there. And we start getting dead leaves. So it could be that that's what's going on right there. Also, wrapping can be detrimental. Uh, cedars are pretty tough plants. I would not bother wrapping these plants anymore if they've been there for four. I mean, unless they're getting salt spray, I would not worry about wrapping them against the wind. 
They're well-established. They look very healthy. They look like eastern white cedar, which is native and tough. Uh, and wrapping can, um, you can end up trapping cold air under the burlap. On a cold, cold night, the, the cold air can settle in inside the burlap. And then when the sun comes up, if the trees are very close together, as these are, that cold air can sit there and never truly um, be eradicated because there's just no air circulation. So a couple of things I would do. One is not wrapping. Number two, get your gloves on and, and comb that brown stuff out. Look closely for insects. There can be insects on cedars. Um, but comb out the brown. Trim out brown branches that have no evidence of green. Do fertilize. Good idea. And and be careful. Uh, like... Not sure if these are designed just for privacy, but certainly trimming and shearing our cedars at this time of year can help thicken them. Uh, if, you, if you want you know, more privacy, then we trim the tops. If we want more height, then we trim the sides, like, or trim both just to make them look you know, pretty tidy. So like I say, it's not, I have no one definitive answer on that, but it's just the all-round care of plants of this size. And like I say, I can't tell whether they're 20 feet tall or 10, 6 feet tall in the picture. But they look really good other than that one brown patch. So look closely, do some combing, etc. Okay. Uh, we have a caller from Brantford online right now. Ellen, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you. Morning. Uh, I just wondered if you had an opinion about the rubber mulch. Uh, uh, for how for using where on um, flower beds or in um, particularly I have a berm where I've just planted five um, baby blue spruces mm. and I know the rubber mulch uh, from the recycled tires looks mm-hmm. beautiful last longer but I wondered if it's got any toxicity to it or any reason one shouldn't use it. So it's a good question. It, you know, I don't think we've had this question on the the radio show ever. But certainly, it happened long ago in one of my presentations. Um, so you're right, uh, Ellen. Rubber mulch is made from tires. <clears throat> so what they do is they freeze the tires, and then they put them into like big dryers, and they bounce them around in the dryers, and then they break into a thousand pieces because they're frozen solid, and then they sell that as mulch. The um, so one of the issues is, um, you know, spreading it around. What happens? Well, when the sun shines on it, it smells. I don't like the smell. It's like a real strong petroleum smell. So you have to recognize that if there's sun on the, the rubber mulch, you're going to get an aroma. Is there any toxicity? None that I know of. It will not decompose, which has its pros and cons. I'm a much bigger fan of organic mulches, which will decompose, because your bark mulch will slowly, particularly pine bark mulch, will slowly decompose, add organic matter to your soil, and because it's pine, it'll keep the the pH at the right level for things like spruces. Whereas rubber mulch is always going to be there, and your soil will slowly be depleted of its organic matter, and you'll never be able to add any unless you pull all the mulch out. Then you know, and you should do this every year anyway. Add some organic matter, get the mulch back on. So you know, not an easy situation. I, like I say, I'm not. I'm just not a big fan of the inorganic mulches because you you have to take them away in order to add organic matter and then put them back. Yeah. yeah. Now speaking of organic mulches, can one use mulch from a walnut tree? I understand mm-hmm. there's some kind of poison in the walnut. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Do not ever use uh, um, crushed bark from a walnut unless you're using it around a walnut. The um, walnuts very naturally create 
um, a toxic chemical, usually mostly in their roots, that they will um, actually, it, it exudes from the roots into the soil and makes the soil very unfriendly for other plants. So they're very narcissistic plants, those walnuts, black walnuts. Thank you. So, yeah, thank you very much. That answers don't. my question. Gee, Ellen, I, I think the only advantage to using rubber mulch might be if you slip and fall, you bounce right back up. <laughs> no. And, you know, they make some very nice rubber mulch. Uh, ground covers, like like yeah. sheets of ground covers for playgrounds, uh, and and you know areas where children are playing and falling and bouncing and so and beautiful colors, etc. So I think that the rubber mulch is excellent depending on where you, you're using it. But I'm not a fan of it in the garden. Good enough. Okay, uh, Charlie, we've got an email here from John Ellard who says, "Here's a photo of my palm plant and its location near our bay window, west facing." <laughs> my question is, how often will we need to water it? Hmm. Hmm. Good question. So yeah. here's. It looks like an areca palm. It looks like it's brand spanking new. The picture is taken on such an angle that the pot looks way too small for the plant. The plant looks like it's maybe three and a half, four feet tall. And, but the pot looks like it might be at the biggest, an 8-inch pot. So I would be first and foremost getting a bigger pot, minimum 10-inch. Uh, if you might even want to go to, well, if it's 8, go to 10. If it's 10, go to 12. Now, he's got shears and curtains facing west. That is what we would call indirect light or bright indirect light. It might work. It, it, a plant like that generally wants a little more light than that, depending on where you bought it. See, if you bought it at like a Home Depot or someplace, it probably came straight from Florida where it was grown in the shade in Florida, but it's still uh, brighter outside in Florida than it is in your living room with the shears like that. So I'd be inclined to open the shears, particularly early in the day. You're right, once the western setting sun is beaming in your window, you've got to close those shears. But keep the, the, the curtains open in the overnight and the morning and the after, early afternoon. Get as much light as you can. Watering is going to be dependent on the temperature inside your house and the amount of light. If in doubt, stick your finger in the pot or get a moisture meter. So moisture meters are those little probes. Uh, so when you're at the store getting a bigger pot and some more potting soil, grab a moisture meter or I guess you're not. Well, yeah, you can go into garden centers. Um, and that little probe goes in under the soil and tells you the moisture level about six mm. inches down into the pot. A plant like this does not want to be kept wet all the time. Uh, you can let it dry down fairly down to the dry side of the meter and water thoroughly when you do water. So you're going to give it, you know, a couple gallons of water, probably maybe not a couple gallons, maybe a gallon when you water with that bigger pot. But uh, water till you know, this water runs through the drainage holes of the new pot you're going to get. Okay. Right? Good enough. Uh, Sharon is on the line from Gravenhurst. Well, good morning, Sharon. How are things in Gravenhurst? Very well, thank you very much. Good. Very well up here. Uh, when I'm phoning about a couple of weeks ago, uh, I got frostbite on not me uh, on the top part of my one of my just one of my tomato plants. Uh-huh. The bottom leaves are okay. Um, will it come back? And should I nip off the dead ones? Oh yeah, definitely nip off the dead ones, and it, probably it will. Uh, so this was out in the garden or out in a pot? It was in a pot on my deck. Okay, it's a big pot. I hope. Oh, yeah, it's about a, yeah, it's big, about 16-inch. Okay, good. And do you know what kind of tomato it is? It's uh, just a beefsteak. Okay. So beefsteak are what we call indeterminate tomatoes. So that means that they, if left 
un, untrimmed or unpruned at all, they will grow almost as a vine, right? They just keep growing up, up, up. up. By the end of the summer, you know, they'll be 10 or 12 feet tall if you let them. So by taking the top off, which you're going to have to do, what's going to happen is you're going to get a whole bunch of side shoots. And so ultimately, it might become a fairly bushy plant. Do you, do you normally stake your tomato, or do you put a cage around it, or what do you do? Yeah, I haven't. Uh, I've got two other smaller um well, they're bigger now, but they're for the cherry tomatoes, and they're growing like a weed. They didn't get nipped, but uh, this one, I haven't had to stake it yet because it's probably only about eight inches high so far. Okay. So what I would do is take off anything that's not alive, encourage the green. That's all good. And when you plant your tomatoes, always remember we plant them deeper than what they were growing in the pot that we bought them. Mm-hmm. Unlike every other plant that we never plant, deeper tomatoes we do. So, um, yeah, take it off. And then you are the master. So you decide when it starts to pop some new growth, which it will with all this warmth we're getting and sunshine, you decide whether you want to train it back to that single stem and grow it up as a, like a little tree, or you want to allow it to be a much bushier plant with a certain amount of side shoots uh, coming off of it. It will, when the thing about beef steaks, as you know, the fruit forms and they're big, heavy tomatoes, it, it tends to really weigh down the plant. So the plant will just flop onto your deck if you let it. So there's a certain amount of staking and supporting of a plant of that size when they start getting the fruits. So, you know, you can grow it either way. You can grow it as a, as a single stem plant or you can grow it as a much bushier multi-stem plant. Great. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for joining us on a gorgeous Saturday morning. Hope you're enjoying the weather wherever you're listening from. Uh, I have a note here from Diane Jeffrey. says, hi, Charlie. Obviously, she sent you a photo. These plants were sent to me by my neighbor, or given to me by my neighbor. She doesn't know what they are, so can you please tell me the name of both plants? As uh, Also, you can see my balcony is facing northeast. I get sun for a few hours in the morning and sun late afternoon. How do I pamper these plants? Love listening to the show with you and Frank on Saturday. Wasn't that nice? Thank you, Diane. Yeah, that was nice. That's all that was nice. She mentioned you. So uh, the two plants in the picture, one is a Diefenbachia, the one on the left. The one on the right is a Calancho. So Diefenbachia is a tropical plant. Uh, That is something that will, well, both of them are actually tropical plants. Both will die in the frost if they're left outside over the winter, but both can be brought in. The Diefenbachia is an easy houseplant. It loves that um, lower morning light. It doesn't like a bright, bright, hot spot. So having it in your northeast location is perfect. The Calancho, on the other hand, not so much. It likes a really bright spot in order to form flowers. It is a succulent. It's a nice, you know, thick green leaves and it has been, it looks like it did flower and somebody's cut it down. So let it go for a little while. Remember, Calancho, because it's a succulent, does not want to be kept constantly wet. So you're only going to water that plant when the soil is very dry around it. Uh, the Diefenbachi, on the other hand, wants a little more moisture than that. So she looks like she's got them in one big kind of a window box there on her balcony. So um, you're going to have to be a little bit careful with the watering, a little more water for the Dief, a little less for the Calancho. Give them some fertilizer. They'll really, really pop and thrive. Uh, you could consider separating them so that the Diefenbach can be easy to take inside before frost. And you may decide to just let the Calancho finish its life out on your balcony at the end of the summer. Okay. Uh, we have to take our next break here, Charlie. And we're coming back to say hi to Evelyn in Scarborough. When we do, you are listening to The Garden Show from Zoomer Radio. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. 
garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Charlie, let's take a little trip out to the east there, Scarborough, where Evelyn is. Good morning, Evelyn. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Frank. Your hair looks just fine, Frank. Just wanted <laughs> well, you to know you. that. <laughs> uh, I'm calling about potting soil. Mm-hmm. If Charlie could talk a little bit about it. Last year, brought in my plants from outside. I took off all the soil, washed the roots, washed the plants, and thought I did a good job. But I was infested with little bugs all winter long. Went to the to the store to buy more potting soil this spring. Mm-hmm. And luckily, when I opened it, I realized it was full of those little brown eggs. Oh. oh. So I, I sealed it back up. I can't return it because of the pandemic. I went to the garden center, explained the situation. I didn't buy it at the garden center. I bought it at the local box store. Mm-hmm. Went to the garden center, and they said I can buy uh, sterilized soil. Mm-hmm. Is, there, is, it, is soil really sterilized? Okay, <clears throat> so it's a good question. Back um, 30 years ago and more, potting soil was that. It was soil, like literally soil from the ground, that had been mixed with things like peat moss and maybe some perlite and some vermiculite, maybe some sand. It was a whole recipe for potting soils that would support growth in a pot because, of course, taking soil directly from the ground and putting it in a pot doesn't work. We don't have sufficient drainage usually. Uh, it gets up too soggy and plants do not thrive. Now, starting about, like I say, 30, 40 years ago, soilless mixes came on the market. So these are, again, recipes that are made up with absolutely no soil in them whatsoever. It's only peat moss and perlite and vermiculite. Sometimes there's some of that coconut husk called core, C-O-I-R, in the mix. Uh, so again, it's, it's all mixed up. These are um, very well-researched recipes to support both water retention in the pot, but also good drainage. And the any sealed bag of a, a, a mix, whether it's a potting soil or a soilless mix, should be absolutely sterile. There should be no life in it whatsoever. When you open a bag, if anything flies out at you, be suspicious. Or if you see anything growing in there, be suspicious because it should be, usually they're packed dry, which is great for the homeowner. It's easier to get it, you know, up into the elevator for so many people, you know, up to the condos. So bags are dry. You open them, you moisten what's in the bag, and then you start planting with it. Um, the, the little flies, I imagine what you saw flying around over the winter was something called fungus gnats. Were they like fruit flies? Yes. Yeah. So, they will grow. I mean, they're a little tiny insect. There's no question. Um, could they have come in that bag? Possibly. Um, but they certainly thrive in conditions where the soil is kept very moist all the time because then we'll have more fungus in that soil or soilless mix in our pots. And that fungus is what they eat. And uh, so it becomes a huge issue in it for many people. It's, it's just a cut back on your watering and you'll cut back on those insects and then using a, a product called sticky sticks s-t-i-x yeah i use them sticks yeah consistently get those out you will trap them all because those ones flying around are the adults and they're looking for a place to lay eggs so if you can trap the adults they don't lay eggs so it, it takes a few weeks but eventually you can eliminate that that insect from your home um so 
yeah, I mean, I, I, when I buy, I usually will buy just real good brands of mixes out there. Obviously, Miracle Grow is a well known, um, potting mix or soilless mix. Pro Mix is well known. You know, there's a number of companies that are, that absolutely stand behind their product and have, like I say, very worked out, thoroughly researched recipes that go into the bags. But yeah, always be, never ever use something where there's something comes flying out at you well, when you they open it. Flying though, they, they, yeah. Am I right when I say they were little um, round balls that uh, have liquid in them? Right. Those are eggs? So, uh, not probably not. Insect eggs are usually much smaller than we can see without a magnifying glass. Probably what that was, if you look at the bag and read, it'll say that this comes with a nutrient charge because, as I point out, the, these bagged products are sterile and they have no nutrients. And the manufacturers know that, so they will often put in a little bit of fertilizer as what we call a nutrient charge just to get the plants going, and then it's up to you to keep fertilizing after that. So what those little round balls are is an it's what we call slow-release fertilizer. So it's fertilizer that is doing nothing because it's bone dry. As soon as you wet that mix, that little shell will dissolve and that little liquid will release and you will slowly have some nutrient release to, to your plants that you're planting into because you're not going to wet it until you're using it. Um, so, yeah, no, I would not be suspicious that that was eggs. That they are, insect eggs are way too small. Okay. Is there uh, nothing that woman doesn't know? My God. Jeez. Oh, uh, never heard of, that before. That's amazing. A okay. lot of potting tool in my life. You know, we do, we do have to trot along because we're up to our final break. And I want to assure Barb and Julie, who are hanging on the line ever so patiently, we're going to get to you, but you just hang in there, okay? We're coming back, Charlie and I, here on Zoomer Radio. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. All righty, Charlie, let's say hi to a very patient Barb who has been hanging on the line there from Aiton, Ontario. Good morning, Barb. Oh, good morning, Charlie and, and um, Frank. I was just wondering, I just noticed on tomato plants, um, there's like leaves, they almost have the coloring of almost like a coleus plant. Mm. Um, I don't know if, like, some of them were touched with frost, mm. and then these have more like yellowy, and, mm. and some of the leaves kind of curled. I'm just mm. wondering if that's a fungus, or should no. I? No. <clears throat> no, tomatoes are really good that way. Um, you should not be seeing any evidence of any kind of fungus yet. It's only early June. Um, what it is, it's a, respon- it's a response to the uh, temperature, to the environment. Oh, so we, so I don't have to uh, replace them then? I don't think so, no. I think what you just need to do is uh, make sure they don't suffer for lack of water, right? Tomatoes want very consistent watering, which is not to say they want to be soggy, but watered if they're in pots probably every day or every second day in the heat. Um, the red will, will turn green. The yellow will either continue so that the leaf ends up dying, which happens, uh, and new leaves will grow or um, it will recuperate. But, yeah, it is, I would say, very much a response to the environment. And when we had that cold, uh, so two weeks ago now, that unexpected cold, uh-huh. um, all of our plants that were, are outside in any kind of extreme, whether it's extreme heat, extreme cold, extreme wind, um, hail, <laughs> tornadoes, 
the plants will survive better if they are in good condition when the impact happens from the extreme temperatures, etc. So always make sure that your plants are watered sufficiently. They're never suffering for lack of water and um, particularly vegetables. And uh, yeah, fertilize now, keep them growing, keep them happy. Flowers should be forming on your tomatoes now or very soon. So that's what you want. You want the flowers, you want the fruit. You to lose a few leaves is no big deal. Well, that's good news for Barb, for sure. Hey, Julie on the line from North York, good morning. Hi, Julie. How are you guys? Hi. Good morning. <laughs> I, I have a, my neighbor gave me a cute little plant last year, and she said it's like a rooster, like the top of a rooster. It's all velvet. Do you know what that is? <laughs> there's a couple, there's a number of, is it out in your garden? Yeah, I, I planted it last year. It's beautiful. It's like red velvet top, like a rooster top, like a rooster. Red. Oh, red is interesting. Uh, you're going to have to take a picture. Oh, you planted it last year and it came back? It's a perennial? No, my husband, we took it out of the garden and we got the little, little tiny, like little tiny pepper seeds. And I planted them and, and they, the last year that one was just out of this world. Now, I wonder what the name of it is. All right. Well, there's a couple of plants that do red sort of furry leaves. One is Celosia, C-E-L-O-S-I-A. Another one is Amaranthus, red fuzzy um, flowers, very cuddly. Um, I was thinking of lamb's ears when you said soft and fuzzy, but that's a gray leaf that's very soft. Uh, you know what? You could look up Celosia and Amaranthus. If it's neither of those things, take a picture and send it to me at C. Dobbin at mzmedia.com. So it's C-E-L-O-S-A-S? C-E-L-O-S-I-A. Oh, I-A. No, it's just so beautiful. I want to put it in a big planter. It's just the red velvet. is just absolutely beautiful. I love that. I love plants that you want to touch. <laughs> That's great. Thanks, okay. Julie. Okay, thank you very much. Golly, uh, we're just about fresh at a racetrack here. My gosh, we've got about a minute, a little bit left. Uh, time enough to plug the guys, of course, from Dave's Corner Garage are all revved up already. <laughs> oh, and uh, you're Look all revved out. up don't there. Get run o- don't get run over there, Frank. <laughs> yeah. run- now, are you uh, g- giving Elliot a lot of work uh, yet to do? <laughs> I was going to tell you an update on that. I've been giving Elliot a lot of work to do for the last two months. Like every day there's another multi yards of something being delivered into the driveway and he's just spreading, spreading, spreading. He's been looking a little tired. (laughs) He's fading, I'm afraid to say. But I had a, I had a brainwave and I got in touch with uh, somebody I know here in the county who has teenage or uh, university age children and they have friends who have come back from university and could not go to their full time jobs because their jobs are not open. Of course, yeah. Yeah, golf courses, restaurants, etc. So these students are sitting around twiddling their thumbs, very frustrated. And I said, do you know anybody? And within a matter of hours, I had a lovely, lovely young woman arrive at my home. She's going into third-year engineering at Queen's. Her name is Andrea, and she's just a sweetheart, just a hard worker. Give her anything, give her any tool, and she just goes for it. So Elliot is just sitting back, smiling. (laughs) He's chatting her up. He's bringing her cookies and water. Oh, he's like flirting with her. 
loves her so much. So it's, it's really cute. Um, and she's getting a lot of work done for us. So she'll be back on Monday. <laughs> okay. And I will be too, but you will be still in Prince Edward County. You take uh, care of the county I'm, for us, Charlie, okay? I will for sure. Thank right. you, Frank. You take care of Shirley and those swans for us. Okay. You bet. All right. Thanks, Frank. Thanks, Carlos. Thanks to our callers and emailers. Keep it all coming. See you again next week. This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.